Hi, this is Dr. Sean Handorp, clinical psychologist and health behavior expert, and this is the Motivation Made Easy podcast. Each week, I'll be bringing you science-backed information, strategies, and inspiration to master your relationship with food so that you can feel in control of your habits, respect your body, and free your mind to focus on the things in life that truly matter. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I've had years of experience doing research and patient care in the field of weight management and eating disorders. So I've had the insider view on understanding what works and what we're getting very, very wrong. In this podcast, you'll find practical information and tips based on motivation science, interviews from experts, and stories from real people and how they've navigated their relationship with food. My goal is to empower you with information, inspire you to make changes that fit you, and feel 100% supported along the way. So settle in and make yourself comfortable, and get excited to learn and take action for a better, healthier, more energized life. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Motivation Made Easy podcast. Today's episode is all about relationships. So I'm really excited to have my longtime friend, Dr. Makila Wildey, having this conversation with me. I've known Makila for a long time, uh, since college back at Michigan State. I met her in the Honors College Psychology program there and um, have stayed connected with her ever since. And uh, it was another in-person interview, which is fun because she lives in my city. So, you know, what um, What I really love to do with this podcast and one of the things that I often talk about is the fact that, you know, we've, we've talked about the fact that it's not bad to want weight loss or it's not, you know, the idea of, you know, wanting body changes is normal, but one of the main problematic things about the weight loss and diet cycle is of course how ineffective it can be, but also it can be distracting and sometimes almost a smokescreen for some deeper work or bigger changes or things that might feel bigger or less controllable um, that actually might give you way more bang for your buck. So, you know, one, I often have said that those three things that would fall into that category in my mind of the things that are often missed or under-focused on when it comes to our health are sleep, stress, and stress management, and social relationships. And so if you recall a while back, I had my also a good friend, Heather Gunn, um, on to talk about sleep in a two-parter. So if you haven't checked that out, do so. And um, it's kind of a similar situation here where I I, you know, I was like, do I just like talking to my friends on the podcast? And yes, that is part of it. But um, I was just listening to this episode and there's a lot of really good nuggets. Make sure you stay till the end. There's like a quote. It's in the blog post if you want to check it out. But yeah, there's a quote from Makila that really, really hit me about the importance of focusing on our relationships more broadly. Uh, this conversation will apply to all relationships, but Makila is a couples therapy expert. And um, so mostly we're focusing on how this applies in romantic focused relationships. So that being said, we cover in this interview a number of different things, including how your relationships 
uh, especially a romantic one, affect your health. And some of the ways in which overfocus on body and weight can be distracting from deeper truths that would lead to true and lasting healing in your in your relationship. We touch on a question that I've had that's come up a little bit, um, this idea of being codependent or enabling or having too much investment in someone else's emotional well-being. We'll talk about how common that is and uh, just what you should know about it and, and when you should be concerned or kind of onto yourself about that pattern. Um, spoiler alert, it's a really common pattern. So um, we don't have to call it codependence, that that term I don't love per se, but, um, but either way, whatever you call it, it's, uh, we have some ideas for you about what truly setting boundaries is, how empowering it can be and, um, and, and how crucial it can be. We'll also talk about some scenarios like how to respond if your partner is making unhelpful comments about your eating habits or your body. We will also talk about a pretty common concern, um, both in my work and in Makila's work, is what to do if you fear um, or you've been explicitly told by your partner that they're no longer attracted to you due to body changes. You know, most often in this scenario, for folks that I work with, it might be due to weight gain. So we'll talk about that as well and much more. So, so excited that you are here. Settle in and... uh, Let's dive in. Remember the old diet advice like when the urge to eat strikes, just take a walk or have a glass of water. Usually you're just thirsty, not hungry. If you're anything like me, these suggestions make you want to punch the magazine or the person who said it in the face. So many suggestions to just stop emotional eating are based in diet culture They're based in the notion that you know what to do, just do it. And I'm here to tell you that changing behavior is hard. We as humans are wired for comfort and disrupting a pattern of emotional eating is challenging. And at the same time, you absolutely can do it and you can learn to prefer it. However, to get started with disrupting this pattern, we need to feel understood. We need to then take small, consistent actions in the direction of our goals. So we're going to leave these super patronizing suggestions at home and get some actual suggestions for simple, fun things to do when the urge to eat strikes when you know you are not hungry. So for some Actual suggestions for this, I have a new free actionable guide. This is a one-page PDF you can pull up at any time with 23 things to do instead of eating, complete with links to videos, fun, inspiring songs, and many different ideas to disrupt the pattern and take a small step towards empowerment and towards that confident person that you deserve to be. So grab the guide absolutely free at drhondorp.com forward slash guide. That's D-R-H-O-N-D-O-R-P forward slash guide to start ditching the shoulds and regaining confidence in yourself today. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for any form of professional advice. If you are struggling with how these specific topics fit for you, please make sure you seek out a professional to get that guidance. 
And if you are enjoying this podcast, I would love it if you could pull out your phone, go to Apple Podcasts, and give me a quick review. You can either just give us the star review or you can write a review. There you can let me know what you're enjoying, what you'd like to see more of. It's a really simple way and a free way for you to let me know you're enjoying the podcast, help more people find it, and um, help keep the podcast going. So thank you so much in advance. All right, let's dive in. All right, so welcome back to the Motivation Made Easy podcast. I am really excited to do my second in-person at the beautiful Ada Library interview with my good friend and colleague, Dr. Makila Wildy, and we have a really important topic to talk to you about today. So we're, I often say on this podcast, and you may have heard me say it before, one of the things that's so problematic about people getting caught up in the ineffective diet cycle is that we can overfocus on eating and exercise habits, and we miss three things that I think are really important and are often missed, and I often say sleep, stress, and social relationships. So today we're diving in heavy with the social relationship topic with a bona fide expert who is also a dear friend of mine. So we're going to cover a lot today quickly. We're going to talk a bit about boundaries, um, codependency, which I have thoughts about, and uh, just some really practical strategies that you can use to get your needs met in relationships so that you can, um, first of all, have it negative impacts of relationship, not negatively impacting your health, but also feeling more freedom to turn to food less or only when you want to, to get kind of emotional needs met. So um, there's a lot of ways that this does directly relate to relationship with food. Um, I We're going to delve into this a little bit, but the more I do this work, the more I realize like fears related to social rejection and judgment drives much of our food and body struggles. And, um, and, and yeah, so we got a lot to cover. We're going to dive in. So welcome to the podcast, Makila. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> yes, I'm super pumped to have you. So first, can you tell our listeners some of your story and how you came to doing the work that you do? Yeah, so I started off getting it, becoming interested in close relationships, so that's kind of what all my research and my clinical interests are in, is romantic relationships, intimate relationships, and got interested in that in graduate school um, as I was discovering more about the research process and realizing I wanted to be a clinical psychologist, really immersed myself in that area, and um, all of my training in graduate school was sort of centered around close relationships and all of my clinical interests were as well. So I sought out additional training while I was in graduate school to uh, become more uh, more of an expert, at least in couples therapy and all the intricacies of, of that as well. And so after graduate school, I... Um, practiced as a full-time clinician for a couple of years, specializing in adult work and couples therapy, and then went back to a academic position at Grand Valley, I shouldn't say went back to, but took an academic position at Grand Valley State University, where, um, again, my research is focused in couples work, and in addition to that, I maintained a private practice on the side as well. And a lot of what got me interested in couples work to begin with, I come from a culture, my ethnicity, I'm Indian, and I come from a culture where arranged marriages are really common, and 
you know, grew up with a lot of those models in my life and always was really fascinated as to what made relationships work and how much of an impact they have on our lives and how much of an impact they have just on our day-to-day stress levels and health and all of those important and fascinating things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, I mean, you, you've been my bona fide couples therapy <laughs> relationship expert for a long time in my personal and professional life. Uh, so it's been, it, yeah, you definitely have a ton of experience to bring to this conversation. And, um, and along those lines, you just mentioned how important relationships are for your, for our health. So can you expand on that a bit for people? Like really, why, why does this matter so much when we're thinking about our health? Yeah, I tell, I talk to people all the time. I think sometimes, you know, we forget how important or perhaps take for granted sometimes how important that relationship is and how significant of an impact it can have on our lives. And there's so much data to support that. It can impact your physical health. People who have more distress in their romantic relationships end up getting sick more often, uh, having more physical health complications, not sleeping well, not taking care of themselves as well as they would like to. And all of those can create long-term chronic health problems sometimes in individuals. And in addition to that, um, you know, it's just really important for just overall life satisfaction as well. And so Mm -hmm. people with more uh, satisfying relationships tend to just overall feel better about their lives as well. And I think everyone can kind of relate to that when you're Mm -hmm. in a bad place with your partner, everything just feels a lot heavier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, we'll often talk about like different eating styles on the podcast. And one thing that often we'll study is like the Mediterranean diet and the Mediterranean style of eating. But what sometimes people forget is that we're taking the the behavior out of the context. Like a lot of times the Mediterranean region has a like more relaxed lifestyle, but also really like a focus on community. And some when we see these like longevity studies that show people living longer, we don't want to hyper focus on what they're eating per se. I mean, that's important, but it's also sometimes people forget. Like it is common sense and yet we forget it, I think, because I don't know why, maybe just because we're focused on tangible things you can see and relationships are harder to measure, maybe. Yeah, I think they're harder to measure. And again, there's just a lot more emotional complexity wrapped up in them. And sometimes we don't even understand the impact they're having when they're having an impact on other aspects of our lives. Yes. Yeah. Well said. So you do and have trained in emotion focused couples therapy. So you tell us a little bit about what that is and how it works. Yeah, so emotionally focused therapy has to do with the attachment relationship between two individuals. And how I describe it to a lot of my couples is, you know, when you're young and you're uh, still a child and you have a caregiver and that caregiver that you have, whomever that person is, whomever that significant caregiver is in your life, you develop some sort of an attachment relationship with that person where if you're in need or in distress, you are wanting, craving, desiring to lean on that person to help you. And sometimes you have, you know, a caregiver who can provide you with that support and sometimes you don't. And so that's what leads to sometimes what we call secure and insecure attachment styles, depending on how responsive your caregiver was when you were a young child. As you get older, your attachment 
uh, person sort of turns into more of the person that you're in a romantic relationship with. And so when we think about romantic relationships and you're in a need, you, you have some sort of a need where you're in distress, you're feeling anxious about something, you're feeling some sort of emotion that's negative, you sometimes want to, oftentimes, you'll want to lean on that attachment person, whomever that is, and again, it often transfers into your romantic partner for that safety, security, comfort. And so that's sort of the lens that emotionally focused couples therapy takes, and then how we understand then problems that come up in relationships is when you feel like you can't lean on your partner for that safety, security, comfort, whatever it might be. Um, And for a variety of reasons, lots of things can happen in relationships that can create problems, but for Mm -hmm. some reason we just don't feel like we can lean on our partners in that same way, even though we crave it, we want it, Um, it's helpful for us. And again, the data supports it's helpful for us to have those sorts of relationships in our life. Mm -hmm. But for some reason or another, it's kind of gone awry. Yeah. Yeah. And that's very common, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's very common to have different difficulty relying on people and, and probably varies based on the situation where maybe for a while you and your partner could relate pretty well because everything was going smoothly. But when it comes to perhaps something with, let's say, their mental health or your mental health, and it just becomes a little bit stickier and now it doesn't feel as safe and you kind of, it's in, I'm just, yeah, wanting to point out for people that, because you and I were talking at our lunch before Mm -hmm. this, like not having this label of like, you have a secure attachment and you have an insecure attachment. It's really, there's this, all this nuance in, in the middle there. And it's really common to have difficulty being fully vulnerable and open, even with someone you've been with for a really long time. Yeah, I I mean, being vulnerable and open is probably one of the most challenging things as a human, Mm -hmm. and yet also one of the most rewarding things if you can find someone who can reciprocate that with you. Yeah, yeah. And I'll add to what you just said, which is that it's, it, it also... It's not just, you know, you and your partner. I mean, that's a component of it if if you're in the right, um, like if you're struggling with your mental health. I mean, life transitions. People change over time. There are so many external stressors that can be placed on our, um, on our lives that mm-hmm. can create an impact or cause an impact between you and your partner and how you're relating to one another. I mean, there's yeah. so many things. I mean, transition to parenthood, for example, yeah, that creates, it's a big one. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> that creates so many shifts in your relationship and identity and how you perceive things and what you're doing. And yeah, so there's just a lot of complexity to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It could be that, yeah, you're, you didn't maybe have as many as much as high of a need for support at a different time. And then, yeah, the stress of parenting, the stress of other transitions, um, it can, and finding a way to kind of get that equilibrium with your partner of both getting your needs met is a, is a challenge that I can personally attest to it fully openly. Right. It's like, it's okay for it to be hard and, um, it's okay to, to get help with it. So it is hard. That's what I tell all my couples. I said relationships, especially your romantic relationship, is one of the hardest things you'll work on. Yes. <laughs> it's 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 worth it if you put in the work, but it takes a lot of work. Yeah, and don't they ask you, like, you have it all figured out, right? Like, yeah, Dr. and I say, absolutely Michaela. not. <laughs> You're like, I can teach this stuff. <laughs> I can talk to you about it. But uh, my relationship is far from perfect, and mm-hmm. my husband and I have to work on it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
yeah yeah I think that that's it's important to to normalize that and yeah so that is why we're here so yes so I want to ask I'm laughing because you already know what I'm asking but you already also know my thoughts about this idea of codependence and how I used to think it was like pop psychology term and you said you don't use the current term codependence that much but um I I believe the idea of codependence is kind of well first of all it's kind of common to have difficulties in that area and um so help can you help people know what that is and um and and maybe how you think about it yeah so codependency the term kind of came out of the addiction literature that's sort of where it came from and it was this idea that one person is sort of taking care of the other person within a romantic relationship to the detriment of that that first person's needs right and Mm -hmm. so um it's brought it it can be broader than that as well though as we kind of understand it now and and you're right I don't use I don't use that term a lot in my own work sometimes because I find that people have some sometimes it depends on who you're talking to but some people have a more pejorative view of that Mm -hmm. of that term and so labeling it I've found has not always been the most helpful yeah and it really comes back to like I said again that attachment relationship because it's when you feel like you are sort of taking care of someone else and you can't express your own needs and you end up feeling very lonely in the relationship as a result of that Mm -hmm. you feel like your needs are kind of put on the back burner or aren't being met because you're balancing this other person's needs in the relationship meanwhile the other person probably also feels a lot of those similar feelings of loneliness because they might feel like the person that's constantly needing the care and -hmm. not wanting to be in that role either Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm yeah and yeah, and, and sometimes it goes both ways, right? Where you're both absolutely over taking over responsibility for the other partner's feelings. And this could be true for a romantic relationship or a Any friendship, right? Yeah. Or, or yeah. relationship with parents where, yeah, you're overtaking that. Re- and it's in that loneliness piece. I think that makes a lot of sense and can be also confusing. You're like, well, we're, we're taking care of each other all the time. And yet sometimes it can lead one or both partners to feel unseen or like their needs are not being met or understood correctly. Yeah. And there's such a difference and it's such a, it's such a fine line between you're managing someone else's emotions versus you're being supportive. Mm -hmm. And I think people have a really hard time because, you know, you think you're being supportive of this other person when in fact, you know, you're holding back what you want to say because you're afraid of how it's going to hurt them. Right. And is that really, are, is that really the most supportive thing to do? I think in your mind, you think in the moment, well, it is because then I'm not hurting them. I'm not creating more pain. They're already in pain. Yep. So I can't share with them what I'm experiencing. Right. But mm-hmm. in the long run, you're then masking your own feelings and not creating opportunity for more deeper, meaningful connection between the two of you. Right. Right. Yep. And yeah, people, you're kind of, if you treat people like an egg or like they can't handle things that they can internalize, like I can't handle things. And I mean, I, this happens in men and women, but I think it is pretty, I don't know. I don't, if you would agree with that, if it's more common in women, I think women are socialized to like be these caretakers and feel really responsible for others' feelings. Do you think that it's more common in women or not necessarily? I don't think so. I think it can go both ways. I think the cycle can go both ways. And so it's, and I think you can have people 
alternate roles sometimes within relationships as well as as the needs sort of ebb and flow. But once you get into that cycle, it can be kind of hard to break it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So why should people try to break that cycle? Yeah. Well, I I mean, I think it goes back to how it ultimately makes people feel. You're Mm -hmm. craving connection with this person. You're craving more intimacy with this person. And in fact, it ends up making you feel, even though you're helping them and you're helping each other and you think your needs are being met, it ends up making you feel lonelier and Mm -hmm. more isolated and more disconnected and sometimes even resentful of Mm -hmm. the other person. Yeah. And so it's just creating more toxicity in your relationship than it is creating that lasting connection. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, it's worth it. And it's a hard pattern to break again. We're not diving into all my personal stuff on this podcast, although we do often do, but I've shared a little bit about just the more I'm on, actually the more I've moved away from like focusing on eating and diet stuff, I can dig into like the important stuff and look at patterns that I've developed. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm overtaking, I'm taking too much responsibility for this person's well-being, whether it's a romantic partner for me or I do it in other relationships too. And it's really common. So I think if people are out there and they're like, Ooh, I see myself in that, know that like that is incredibly common and it can be, it can be changed and it can be really freeing to do so. So I'll just make that comment. Yeah. And you know, even though I look at it in the context of the romantic relationship, you probably, you're right. You probably end up playing that role with lots of other people that are significant relationships in your life as well. And Mm -hmm. so the, the more you can identify and catch that pattern, the easier it can become to break it. Yeah. And not shaming yourself for it. We were also mentioning the term like enabling and how sometimes people can feel bad if they identify, oh, I'm enabling this person or I have been. And again, that's another one that's sort of a pop psychology term, but um, it's common. And most of us weren't truly taught how to maintain our own boundary and kind of give that love and compassion and support, but also navigate how to make sure our needs are met and so most of us many of us weren't fully taught how to do that and so we have to learn that and that's doesn't mean anything's wrong with you (laughs) no absolutely not and and not only are you not taught about it but we all grew up with very different models of what relationships looked like so it's in many cases it wasn't modeled to you in many cases Again, it goes back to your own attachment relationships with those important people early on in your life and the impact that that's had. And it's not to say that someone is to blame or anything like that. It's just to say, again, we're we're complicated. It, it comes from so many different things. And yeah, that's what makes <laughs> us interesting. That is what, <laughs> it's what makes us interesting. And it's also the reason why you can't... Um, or you should try not to get kind of stuck in that downward spiral of, of you know, self-blame or, or feeling like mm-hmm. a particular thing is to blame for that. Yeah, yeah. Sounds good. Well, and we're going to talk just now, transitioning a little bit to the discussion about boundaries, which I think is related in some ways to this topic, right? And boundaries is another one that I've shared with you. I've Um, with my wonderful parent coach who I talk about often on this podcast who's taught me a lot, I've been thinking a little bit differently about what boundaries really are because I think sometimes people think boundary is like you telling people what you're good and what you're not good with and which is kind of true, but sometimes people can think of boundaries as a way to kind of change other people's behavior or like influence other people. 
and what I'm learning more and more. And it's, it's, it's not, (laughs) it's actually much more about you just listening to your body and deciding what you're good with. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you think about boundaries. And then we'll talk about just a couple of scenarios that come up for people often with relationship to eating and body comments and what they can do with regards to boundaries. So first, Mm -hmm. how do you think about boundaries? Is what I said accurate? Is there anything you would add there? Yeah, I think you're right that a lot of people think of boundaries as I have to just say no more. Yeah, <laughs> and right. that's not that's not exactly, it's not as simple as that. I mean, that might be one particular boundary you're working on setting for yourself, but a lot of it has to do with knowing yourself and to your point, knowing your body, knowing what feels right to your body, knowing what feels right to you, understanding kind of what makes you tick, understanding what makes... Um, you engage in certain behaviors or not engage in certain behaviors, but understanding what your needs and wants, desires are, and then appropriately asserting those to to someone else, especially Mm -hmm. to someone who you are, um, in my case, like again, in romantic relationships, being able to assert those needs, desires, wants, and then having that other person hopefully respect that, right? Mm -hmm. Which is part of the puzzle you can't always control, but at Mm -hmm. least you've done your job of asserting those things to them. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, you are setting a boundary. You're saying, here's what I, who I am and what I'm okay with. Now it's sort of on you to decide what you're going to do with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're just clearly communicating what, what you're good with, what you're not good with. And you're not actually, I mean, you do hope perhaps that they will change their behavior in response to that. Right. Especially. So let's, let's make it tangible. If it's, a partner who's making comments about someone's eating habits or making comments about their body, like just little things that they perceive maybe as not that bad where they're like, Oh, we really need to eat better. Or, mm-hmm. um, yeah, do you really want that? And, and so when we think about what that would look like to set a boundary, mm-hmm. if you've identified, I don't like that, which most people wouldn't, maybe, maybe there's exceptions, but most people I know would be like, let me do what I want, right? We talk about autonomy. Um, so where might people slip up with regards to trying to set a boundary and how can we help them shift to knowing like this is what you can control and this is what you can't? You kind of touched on it, but. Yeah, I think, um, you know, with things like that where something is said that um, doesn't sit right with you and it feels just kind of icky, uncomfortable, it didn't feel good, you're not really respecting me or my boundaries. What what is not helpful to the situation is, you know, being very reactionary and defensive or getting angry or anything like that. It's not to say those things won't happen. Sometimes those things happen and, you know, they happen. We're human. <laughs> We're human. Uh, but stepping back and really understanding like what's underlying that. So what is it triggering for you? When that person says that to you, what, what's, what is the emotion you're actually feeling? Mm-hmm. Is it a lot of shame? Like, are you feeling shame because of that? Are you feeling, um, sort of dis- disgust? Are you feeling, are you just feeling sad and hurt? Yeah. Um, understanding what's actually underlying that experience for you. And then, you know, in the context where your partner can hear those feelings, those more vulnerable feelings, talking to, talking to them about it when it's not in a heated moment and when you're not kind of elevated in your emotions already. So being able to say, you know, sometimes when you make these sorts of comments to me, it just really makes me feel really shameful and it makes me feel worse about myself. And then, 
you know, I can't make the best decisions in those moments because now I'm feeling all these other feelings that are driving my behaviors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, right. Non, non-relevant time, not in the moment, which can be hard. Um, because when, sometimes when we're like, we think about assertiveness and boundaries, we're like, I have to say it now. And it's going to be much more likely to go well in there. And yeah. And maybe you add another layer to it. Maybe not, but like, if you do that and, and hopefully a partner can just hear that and change your behavior, right? Like, Oh wow, that's not my intention. Hopefully they'll change. But if they don't like you getting super clear on if that continues to occur, here's what I'll do. And absolutely. Yeah. That might vary based on the person and what, what truly is good with you, but that's, you're just laying it out and you're not controlling what they do or don't do. You're just giving them the opportunity to be informed with how they're impacting you. Yeah, because the thing is, is at the end of the day in, you know, most romantic relationships, I won't say all, but in most romantic relationships, you don't, you feel bad when you hurt the other person. So when someone comes to you and says, listen, this is really painful for me. It triggers me. It brings up a lot of painful emotions for me. Um, Gosh, like the other person's response usually right is I don't want to do that to you I don't want to I don't want to create that pain for you um what what's harder in those situations is you know I hear from a lot of couples where they'll say well I have done that I have tried that well how have you tried that let's talk about what you what you said and a lot of times it comes across very critical like you need to stop doing this Mm -hmm. or stop making comments about my what I'm eating or what I'm doing or or, um, you know, passive aggressively sometimes making, you know, remarks yeah. about not liking the comment where it, it, that's really not getting to the meat, meatier part of what's really happening. And that's where mm-hmm. I say identifying some of those vulnerable emotions can be really, really helpful for the person to identify your own boundary, but mm-hmm. then also being able to assert that to the other person. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point because it's very common to be like, I've already tried that. It didn't work. And the, the reality is that it's usually our tendency isn't to go to the vulnerable place, even with someone we've been with a really long time. And that's very normal and it's not as effective. Like it's just way less likely to be, to result in the outcome you want is if you're not coming at it from that open vulnerable place. Absolutely. And it's really hard to do. It's really hard hard to to do. do. It's really hard to do. It requires practice. And sometimes it requires practice and a commitment to listening on both partners. And, you know, like both people have to be committed to let's try to change what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes we'll, we'll talk about in a minute, like how to know a little bit, like, when do you feel like you need outside help with Mm -hmm. this? Right? Like sometimes you do, and there's no shame in that either, which can feel that that can feel super hard for people They're like oh, what does that mean about us if we need help right with these patterns so um and another question that i have is what you know what if someone's like worked really really hard on let's say their mental health their relationship with food and they just have a partner who they let's say they've tried all these things and they're just like really consistently still doing they have not changed their behavior for whatever reason we could we could pretend that this person maybe they take what we just said and they try that strategy and they're like I just want to make sure I've really given it my all how can someone know if they're like just supposed to 
run their own race and not stress about this partner and how they're impacting them versus to know it's time to make a shift in my relationship. It's time to make a change. Yeah, that's hard because it's it's such a personal decision. Mm-hmm. But I would say definitely, you know, you got to exhaust out all the options in the sense of really asking yourself, has this person been able to hear um, the impact that this is having on me? Mm-hmm. And so identifying the impact that it's having on you, finding an opportunity to discuss it and and seeing what the reaction is. But if it's not heard the first time, how do I um, tweak what I'm saying to, to ensure it's heard? If it's still not being heard or if it's being dismissed or invalidated, like, um, oh, yeah, like, sure, I'll, or, or a, a sort of false commitment to change, meaning someone, a partner saying, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm really sorry I hurt you. I won't do that again, but then continues to do it, right? Mm-hmm. First of all, like bringing that up, that pattern, like I, I, I noticed this has been really hard for you to kind of hear what I'm saying and, and practice it consistently. So what's happening here? Like, why do you still feel the need to do this? And sometimes understanding that person's behavior is a good way to go about it too. Like being curious about why they're doing that. Yeah. Where is it coming from, from, for them? Because it might have to do more with them than it has to do with you. And you don't necessarily know that in the moment. Yep. Um, but certainly if it's persistent and it doesn't, there's no, the partner doesn't have a lot of interest or in figuring it out or doesn't really want to change or doesn't have a lot of insight into it. I mean, that's where I would say, you know, you probably want to try external help, like going to see a counselor together. Mm -hmm. And if there's no interest in that, I would say you probably have some tough, you know, questions to ask yourself of whether or not this is the right fit for me if my Mm -hmm. emotional needs are consistently not being met. Certainly there's a component of, I have to do what's good for me, regardless of what this other person is doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But that's tough to do. It is, yep, and and like you were saying, it's easy to, there's, there's lots of steps that one could take and it is easy to discount that first step, which is, or first two steps really, I don't know if they're steps, but they're the things you mentioned about that really identifying and being open and vulnerable about how you're impacted by these comments, but also that really getting curious about what, why they, this pattern may continue. And sometimes you can do that alone and sometimes we're just too in it. So that's an, again, where you, and it never hurts to get help. <laughs> like, absolutely not. Yeah. Like <laughs> why, if you can, you know, obviously with have the means and the, the ability to get that help in a good way, then why not? <laughs> but, but yeah, um, there's, there's many, like you said, many options and, and to pursue, but it all takes emotional work too. And so I think being kind with yourself as you go through it and kind of checking in with your body the whole time. Yeah. And really being able to identify what's going on internally, that can yeah. be a, a good barometer for, um, yeah, for understanding what's happening between you and this other person. Right. And, and often going beneath the anger, anger is probably part of that, but almost always there's, you mentioned, you didn't mention anger when you talked about expressing, you mentioned hurt, shame. 
Yeah, I should yeah. have mentioned that because anger is usually the surface level emotion. Yeah. <laughs> anger, irritabil- irritability, defensiveness. I mean, all of that kind of lies on the surface. Yep. But if you scratch beneath the surface, there's usually much deeper, more vulnerable emotions underneath that. And it's easy when someone's angry to meet them with anger right back or irritability met with irritability or withdrawal, right? And Mm -hmm. so uh, you can stay in that cycle for a long time, but until you get to kind of what's underneath that, that cycle and what are the more vulnerable emotions, it's hard to really create lasting change. Yeah. And that I would imagine that is what emotion focused couples therapy does is create that space to facilitate that work. Yeah. And it takes, it takes, again, it takes practice. It takes time. Mm -hmm. It takes a commitment to say, oh, wait, we're getting caught in this again. Let's sort of step back. Wow. We we get caught in that sort of cycle so quickly. Let's sort of step back and figure out a different way that we can talk about this. Yeah. Yep. Sounds good. Well, and the other, another question that I get often that I want to to ask you to speak to. So a big fear that a lot of people have is that my partner's no longer attracted to me anymore because uh, often when I'm working with someone, they often attribute it to weight gain or body changes. And so, and let's just say in this example scenario, the partner maybe has made a comment in the heat of the moment a while ago, and that really sticks with people. Or maybe they haven't, but the the, the person is just deeply fearful of that. So what what would you say to someone in that type of scenario? Yeah, it's a common question you get in couples work where people have that kind of underlying fear. Is my partner still attracted to me? Is my partner still interested in me? All of those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. First of all, um, if you're thinking that, you don't necessarily know if it's true. And so what I mean by that is, a lot of times it's wrapped up in people's own fears and there's not a lot of necessary necessarily data to support it, meaning their partner doesn't actually feel that way. Mm-hmm. But how would you know? You could directly ask them, sure, but sometimes you know people aren't convinced by that. Mm-hmm. Like if I said, oh, I feel like you're not attracted to me anymore and your partner says, what are you talking about? Of that's course not I'm, true. That's yeah. not true. Of course I am. That's not very convincing. Yeah. And so why is it not convincing? Because it's it's more than just the attraction, right? There's deeper feelings there that are being, there's some sort of nerve that's being hit where you're feeling disconnected probably from your partner. Maybe your partner's withdrawn from you. Maybe there's, you know, um, less sexual intimacy or physical intimacy between the two of you. And so now you're kind of reading into it thinking that, oh, it must be because of this. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say whatever it is that's pulling you apart, instead of instead of going through and targeting the attraction piece, asking more about why are we so disconnected? Like I'm yeah. feeling so detached from you. Let's understand that. Let's understand where that's coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, and being curious about what's going on with your partner that's making them feel that way. Again, it might have nothing, it might have nothing to do with you. It might have mm-hmm. to do with their own stuff that they're dealing with that's making them feel insecure perhaps or yep. um, not able to connect in that way. And so what I would say first is like trying to identify what's really happening here that's creating that disconnect. Um, if your partner ultimately says, yeah, you're right, I'm, I'm not physically attracted to you anymore, that, that can be hurtful, that can sting. Uh, but at the same time, I would say, why, what's going on there? Why? What's, what, what happened? 
Um, it might not be about something like body size. Body size. Yeah. yeah, it mm-hmm. might not be. It might be because, well, you haven't been really emotionally available to me. Every time you know I've wanted to talk to you, you've been kind of wrapped up in your own stuff, and I can't lean on you for that support anymore. And so, and with the loss of emotional intimacy, people sometimes become less physically attracted to the person as well. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's you've been really struggling and you're, I can see you're struggling with your mental health and your self-esteem and self-confidence and you know you're not the person I was with when I first married you and and or first we first started dating right and so understanding where it's coming from so then and it's not to say like that person is to blame but it's just providing an explanation as to what's created that detachment again yeah yeah and it, it strikes me as we're talking like it's this other just a, yet another example of how when we stay too much on the surface I'm picturing like my little iceberg analogy that I often talk about and when we stay too much on the surface of like it's it's my body size like it's it's definitely my body size it's definitely the weight gain and I can't fix that or or like if we're kind of if they're working with me and we're taking like a, a less weight loss focused approach, it can feel sort of hopeless. I'm like, I cannot fix this problem because this is definitely the problem in my mind and it's unfixable when there's like so much rich, like richness that it's probably more so about that can go missed. And that's kind of, um, I think the, the shame in when we get so focused on these external or more obvious factors, like what we're eating, what our body looks like and how we're moving. Um, it can be distracting from some deeper work that needs to occur. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, when you say that it's, it sort of becomes an oversimplification, right? Yeah. It's just giving it some concrete label when, again, we're very complex people. Humans are very complex. We have so many layers to us and give your partner the benefit of the doubt that they're probably, they have probably a lot of layers that are going on that are making them act in the way that they're acting with you as well. Yeah. Yeah. We, we become kind of focused on this is all about me. Like yeah. it's because of something I did or something I'm doing, right? Or right. how I am. And in reality, it's probably a lot more complicated than that because it almost always is. Yeah. It's almost, almost always both. And yeah. isn't it Brene Brown that says like, blame is a way to offload shame (laughs) like it Mm -hmm. and so this is super common and I've 100% done it like if you blame an external thing for like and you fixate on like that person's behavior or like you're just mad at like this external thing like even diet culture and like it can be a little bit like you're you're not actually doing that deeper work because you're just like blaming (laughs) like you said oversimplifying and Like, and that's just the thing. And it can prevent you from moving forward in whatever way that looks like, whether that's doing your own deeper healing work or um, getting more intimacy with your partner. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that blaming, it's like that externalizing and, and it, it can feel easier to cope with that in the moment, Mm -hmm. but in the long run, again, just will make you feel lonelier and off on your own island when that's not why people engage in romantic relationships to begin with. They, you know, they do it because they want that connection. They want that yeah. intimacy. They want that closeness. Yes. All good stuff. Is there, as we're talking here, I'm going to move to our motivation questions in a moment here, but 
Is there anything else in this realm? I know there's a lot we could cover, but if you're like, I really want people to have this, any take homes or any things that they, I really want them to know about um, their relationship and how they could move forward with a more emotionally connected relationship. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that I, I will talk to couples about is, you know, to get to that place where you're being really vulnerable about those emotions, those deep seated emotions that you have, um, you know, certainly try it out with your partner and see what the response is. But if you're not getting a very validating empathic response back, then I would say, you know, maybe you do need some external help to kind of help you navigate that, right? Mm -hmm. Because um, certainly that has the ability to sort of shut someone down even longer. Like if you if you shared, gosh, this is really painful for me, this is really hurtful, When whenever you make this comment to me, it's really hurtful. And you're met with a, what's the big deal? Like... Yeah. Gaslighting like, response. Yeah, gaslighting mm -hmm. or a response like that. That's not gonna that's not gonna help your situation mm -hmm. and it's gonna make you feel worse. And so um getting getting help if if help is needed and if it's particularly toxic and you're consistently being sort of let down in those emotional needs and not being met in those emotional needs, then really reflecting and asking yourself, is this the is this the best fit for me? Mm -hmm. Which yeah. is a hard thing for people to do. Super hard, and um, and yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot to be had, and and like you said, it's a lot of work, but totally worth worth the effort to to get that mutually consistent supportive relationship. And yeah, listeners deserve it, and there is help out there, whether that's starting individually or starting with couples work of just delving in. You won't regret it. <laughs> no, you plug. won't regret it. Yeah, it's it can be so powerful. And when you have that relationship where you can lean on your partner and you can talk to them about the things that are the scariest, deepest, darkest secrets that you have, right? It can feel so empowering. It can feel, it can feel like all of the other burdens and weights have been lifted in some way because you have this stable base that you can go back to and fall back on even when the external stress gets really rough. Mm, yeah. It's a nice, nice image. Yeah. So, well, wonderful. Um, so we'll switch gears a little bit and talk about our motivation questions. So what is one thing you have truly intrinsic motivation for? So you do it for the inherent satisfaction from the behavior itself, like you enjoy it, find it challenging or satisfying in its own right. So I don't know if there's one specific thing, but I would say just generally anything that's more creative. So anything that's artistic. So like it could even be something as simple as coloring, right? Nice. Like <laughs> uh, but painting, dancing. I mean, anything that's more creative, I get a lot of motivation from that. Yeah, that's awesome. It's, uh, yeah, inherently satisfying to all of us, but what that exactly looks like. And maybe not yeah. all of us, but what it looks like it's we can lose touch of, with that I think yeah often. and I think that's the thing that always gets cut from the list of your you know very busy life yes <laughs> weren't we talking about doing about like it. Paint, I think we were talking about doing like painting on my deck and I don't yeah think we did it. maybe next summer <laughs> maybe next summer we're just like whole put you know putting it off putting it off <laughs> <laughs> we did do that dance exercise thing though yeah once, we did so. we did so yeah okay good 
Um, next one is from should to a choose to the integrated motivation question. What's an example of a paper that was always a should for you that you used to struggle to do, but you figured out a way to do it more consistently because you value it and or it's part of your identity, even if you don't always love it. Hands down exercise. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you might say that. <laughs> yeah. It's always been a should. It's always been a should. Um, mm-hmm. Unless it was dance. Unless it was dance, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I never counted dance as exercise, Mm -hmm. right? So that was part of the whole re-kind of framing my brain that any type of movement is movement. Yeah. And it should feel good, whatever type of movement that is. And learning to just, you know, take things and take small successes as successes and not sweat it if it doesn't happen, right? Yeah. doing it because I want to do it and it feels good and I feel great about myself when I do do it. And if I don't do it, that's okay. Yeah. You started with like very small, tangible amounts of time that you are working on consistently exercising, right? Yeah. So to kind of get myself back in the groove, I, I'm someone who's much more of a person that operates on just consistent habits. And so Mm -hmm. I set a goal. I said at least 10 minutes a day, I'm going to do some sort of movement. I don't care what type of movement it is or something. It could be just stretching for 10 minutes. Yep. And then as I developed the habit of just setting aside that time, it started to feel really good. And I was like, oh, I can do more. I'd get into the zone and I'd do more than 10 minutes, right? And just kind of build up from there. And now it's at a point where I don't do it consistently every day. And that's okay because I want to do it. I'm craving to do it. And so I just find time to do it when I can. Yeah. Yeah. And you didn't have, did you have like external accountability or you just kind of were like, I'm going to consistently do this. I didn't think you did. I didn't have external accountability. I I didn't, I almost didn't want it. You know, yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to do it for some, something else. I wanted to do it for myself. Yeah. And that's something that I've just been kind of curious about because I think there's just like a personality difference there and it's just like for people knowing themselves right and like I think some of us myself in this category like really benefits from that even if it's just like a little like text to someone saying I'm going to do this and then I did it that really benefits me and for you it doesn't but that reducing that all or nothing approach like taking the pressure off allowed you to increase that intrinsic liking of it and more confidence in yourself yeah, and I never needed the external, I, I, I don't think about it in terms of, I do need external accountability in some domains, but I don't need it necessarily to actually exercise. I more need it, I know I do the best when I do it as the first thing that starts off my day. Yeah. And for me, the hardest thing, you know, with small children and two jobs that you're juggling and all sorts of other things and external demands to get up early in the morning and oh, spend yeah. the time to do it. And so for me, the external, <laughs> and when it's dark out, Michigan winters, you just want to crawl into your bed and never get out. And, oh, so, yeah. <laughs> and so for me, the external accountability would be nice of having, you know, the person that wakes you up at 6 a.m. saying, hey, you said you wanted to do this, so go do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Are you exercising in the morning or are you doing it not in the morning? I forget. Well, or I'm trying depends. to do it in the morning. Okay. It's, it's gone to the wayside because <laughs> of all the oh. other things. Yeah. I, a very long time ago, used to do it in the morning and it's been a very long time. It's way too dark. <laughs> I just, I, yeah, exactly. And I, but I just, I know myself and I don't do it if it's at other times of the day because it doesn't feel as good. Like yeah. it feels great. Like when I start my day off that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so... Yeah. Cool. I need my husband to, you know, convince me to just like nudge me out of bed. Go, mm-hmm. go. <laughs> yep. We'll just, well, I do need the, account- if I'm ever going to do it in the morning, I need the accountability. 
I think I don't, I have not consistently ever done it without like just somebody knowing that yeah. I'm supposed to do it. Yeah. So, but personally right now I don't want to, <laughs> I'm like, well, and you, but you I work for myself. Like, so I, I yes. do it midday. <laughs> well, I was going to say, you just like savor every moment of sleep that you can, oh, you yeah. know, when your sleep at a moment's notice could be disrupted with sick children or, yes. you know, just one of them waking up and having a nightmare or whatever it might be. <laughs> yeah. Will's been waking up at least like an hour before he's supposed to get up just talking in the monitor. Yeah, yeah. Mommy, mommy. This morning he said, ow, ow. I'm like, what? You're uh, nothing. He just wanted us to come down there. (laughs) There. Yeah. Um, Okay. And so um, a main part of our mission here is to help uh, women reclaim trust with their bodies so they can live more courageous and connected lives. Can you share an example or two, if you want, of living courageously or building connection that you're proud of? Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of building connection, I've been trying to work on creating more communities and space for people who are practitioners like myself to have an outlet to kind of talk about cases and Mm -hmm. process through cases. I mean, even as a therapist, you know, we get stuck. And so I've been trying to do things like that and just connect, get people more connected within the community. When you're a private practitioner, it becomes very isolating. And so you don't always know what's going on or all the amazing resources that are out there. And so finding ways to connect people with those sorts of things, it's been something that I've just kind of been working on on the side. And yeah, it's nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's a benefit for everyone and you. And absolutely. Yeah. That's uh, very cool. Yep. Community is essential. Going back to our <laughs> relationship <laughs> focus. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, let people know where they can learn more about the work you're doing and connect with you. Yeah. So my website is resilientrelationshipsgr.com. Um, the GR stands for Grand Rapids. And I have a pretty limited private practice, so I don't take on a lot of clients. I only work one day a week since I am a professor at Grand Valley uh, State University as well. And so uh, you can also read about me through my faculty profile over there if you want to especially keep up with anything that I'm publishing or working on in that regard. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here and uh, appreciate you. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was so fun. And before we finish today's episode, I have a really quick message from a special guest, my daughter. Please review from my mom's podcast. Make something from my mom's podcast, please. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in today. Your time is valuable, and it means so much to me that you're here. Despite the title of this podcast, many of our topics are not always easy. Change is hard, and let's face it, life and truly looking inward at ourselves can be uncomfortable. That's why I'm grateful. Grateful for you and your willingness to listen, learn, and keep an open mind. I invite you to learn more by going to drshawnhondorp.com or finding me on Instagram at psychology.of.wellness. If you're enjoying this podcast, it would be amazing if you could give it a review so more people can find it. Thanks, and I truly hope you have an energetic and inspired day.